Card presents Back Issue Bloodpath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. Sometimes when things are low, you need a friend to come by and perk things up. And sometimes when they show up, it's just too much about them that it makes the whole having them come over to perk you up not be the best thing. Happens in life. And it happens with comic book guest appearances. Welcome to Back to Your Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Patula Neal. And this week we are looking at characters that make guest appearances in comics. So we're going to look at why they do it, some of the ones, some examples of how they did it, some of our favorites, some of our least favorites. And... I have a feeling one of us may have a spreadsheet at one point because this feels like a spreadsheet type episode. I mean, I didn't go too deep because I, I found in the past I do these big spreadsheets and then I only get to touch on a couple. But yes, right. I'm literally looking at a spreadsheet right now. Right. And this all came about because it's just been announced uh, a little while after we decided to record this is that uh, Spawn is going to be appearing in Philadelphia, And that to me was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, Rodney Barnes is the writer of the book. And he decided, aside from the fact that bringing in Spawn during a time where uh, a war between heaven and hell is going to break out in the pages of Philadelphia seems fitting. Also, his artist is Jason Sean Alexander, who kind of made a mark on spawn between 2017 and 2020 as a regular artist for the book. So they're both very excited to bring it in. In fact, I think even Barnes has said it's an honor to have one of the greatest characters ever created to visit our killiverse. I cannot thank the great Tom McFarlane for lending us his baby for a spell. We're committed to do him justice. And so you look at that and you realize, okay, so the guest appearance is happening a out of kind of homage to a creator that they enjoy and a creation they enjoy, but also to play towards the strong suits of the artist. And again, when you're dealing with a, a war between heaven and hell and the, you know, the characters of Philadelphia getting stuck in the middle of it, spawn is a good guide to get you through that. So all of that makes sense creatively. Pause. Yeah. I just thought of a great, um, buddy comedy crossover tour guide agency spawn and john constantine tour guides through hell back to you tour guides through hell there we go so yeah dc tom mcfarland you guys should talk about it it might work it might work <laughs> he and constantine though let's make it there, crazier right there you go <laughs> but and, and if dc says no you can always just go to marvel and change it to hellstrom so there you go david hellstrom <laughs> Oh my God. But anyways, so yeah, so like everything there that I said about that, when you think about it, it's like, oh, okay. There's some reason and thought put into this guest appearance. I will see what happens when the book actually comes out. I know you've read the book. Um, you'll have to tell me how it turns out. But most times there isn't that much thought put into a character making a guest appearance in another book. A lot of times, it's because that book is not selling well and they need to really ramp up the sales by putting in a character that they know will sell books. 
And Spider-Man was used as that the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, 2000s. Like he's kind of been a reoccurring person that they've shoved into books, even to the points where it's like they've done some pretty heinous things. Like the cover of Alpha Flight number one shows Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, and the Avengers. None of those characters appear in the book, but it's sold as if it's a guest appearance. Then there's times where Spidey's been brought onto a book that isn't selling well, like Fool Killer in 1990, and it essentially just becomes a Spider-Man book with Fool Killer in the background. And when Spidey leaves, the book still ends up getting canceled because what are you doing? You know, it's like we you were getting the audience invested in a totally different character, not the character that you're trying to sell them. And then even Marvel did some crazy stuff with licensed properties and went, we're not sure how this is going to sell. So we'll stick them in here. So like Spidey made an appearance in transformers issue three. It's like, they just shoved Spider-Man into non Spider-Man holes for decades on the idea of Spidey equals sales. And they haven't just done it with him. Of course they did it with Batman. Of course, over at DC has been done a million times. Superman as well. There's also been times where it's been specific to the era. Like, Wolverine is kind of timeless. Spider-Man's kind of timeless, but Ghost Rider was a big drop-in character in the late 80s and early 90s. And probably the most egregious throughout most of the 90s has to be the Punisher. The Punisher was dropped into everything, including to the point where probably, and this, this guy, this was the worst it ever got, in my opinion. The Punisher was dropped into a Fantastic Four story starring the new Fantastic Four. Mr. Fantastic, Sue Storm, The Thing, The Human Torch, they're all captured for this story. They're not the main characters. The main characters are guest stars. It's Wolverine, Spider-Man, Hulk, and Ghost Rider. And they really thought for those two issues, that's not going to be enough. (laughs) So on their second issue of that story, they actually put it on on the cover saying the world's most exploitative cameo. And it just showed a picture of the chest of Punisher in the corner of the book. When you open up the book, the Punisher shows up in the last two pages in a helicopter following a monster with plans to blow up Monster Island. The story takes place at Monster Island, but Punisher has nothing to do with the story. And so when he gets there, he sees the FF and the new FF are on the beach. And so he flies his helicopter away. And that was it. And it's like, and they promoted this. Like, yes, they did it tongue in cheek, but they promoted this. And sometimes it's just, it just goes too far. I guess during appearance just to say, hey, we got this person in the book and they make it so blatant. How are they really going to expect to make sales off that? Listener, we're not trying to call some of these characters. And again, looking mostly at you, Spider-Man and Punisher, the pass around party bottoms of <laughs> their respective universes. However, it does get to the point where you're like, oh, you again. And it's just, we understand sometimes it's not the people on the ground making the decisions. We also understand there was an ear when the people on the ground was making the decisions perhaps were enjoying themselves with recreational drugs quite a bit. So there's a lot of stuff that's weird. But it definitely seems like there's certain periods in comics where it's either almost like just the suits making the decisions or it's 
kind of craven, not the hunter, or it's just like passive aggressive, like, oh, you want me to do this? Then I'll do it. But in the most like basic way possible, because I'm not really feeling it. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, you can definitely see what some creators, some creators still make it work when they're forced upon a character where they go, okay, fine. You want me to do this? I'm going to do it, but still make it work within the context of their comic. Of course, one we've covered on the show before Hitman did a four issue story arc with Green Lantern and not because Garth Ennis loved Green Lantern. He was told you have to put a DC hero in for a story arc to show that Hitman is still tied to DC continuity. And he went, fine, give me Green Lantern because it's the stupidest character. I hate this character. I'm going to make him a joke for four issues. But because it was Hitman, he made that work. And like, I'm going to pick the most mid of all the Green Lanterns. We're, we're not going for Evan Sir. Well, that was, actually, that was actually the only Green Lantern available at the time. The other Green Lanterns yeah. were either taking dirt naps or on other planets. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, we're not going to go to Oa for our Green Lantern. We're going to just take what's laying fallow on the ground. I would say for me in the research for this, and again, there were, and I only actually had kind of, three categories to this. I was kind of proud of myself that I narrowed down <laughs> to like where they have like a, a real world person showing up. The other category was other fictional characters, not from like comic books mm-hmm. and then other comics. The best to ever do it was the intro of Wolverine and the Hulk and 180, Cause first of all, it's a pairing that makes sense. These are two people who have, issues with dealing with their emotions these are two people who when they're in their fight mode aren't easily reasoned with and that they then add a third monster to that because they're fighting like a giant wendigo that's giving more like abominable snowman but make it kind of hot (laughs) don't judge me just go read it it's like it's not like a bulky abominable like uh you know what judge me it's weird anyway point is they are pitted against each other by the government because Canada's not thrilled that Hulk has crossed the border and is just hulking it up. So they decide to deploy Weapon X. But when they start fighting together, then you get that great energy and that juxtaposition of sort of like the Hulk smash and like the more athletic, like tiny, angry Canadian Wolverine. And then the two of them fighting the Wendigo together. It's just, it's a bop. Like you understand, it's like seeing certain characters on certain shows. And it's like, I understand how we got the Jeffersons from Archie Bunker. Like I understand how we got right. a whole like five plus seasons of Angel from Buffy. Like some characters just transcend to the point where whether or not it was actually intended is what the TV term, like a backdoor pilot, it ends up feeling like that. You're like, this is magic's happening on the page, which I think is what makes those other more craven, again, not the hunter examples. So disappointing. Cause it's like, I know, you know, it has an industry how to do this. Right. Yeah. But I think the, the key there with that one is that that was an in-house creation in that book. The writer Len Wein, was like, I'm going to create this character specifically for the story. Whereas a lot of times guest appearances are 
pre-existing characters who already have their own books. So yeah, in those situations where, like again, Wolverine got spun out into the X-Men and he became a big star. But yeah, a lot of times where it's done, where it's like either they want to sell a book or a creator really wants to work with this character. So he just kind of ham fists the character into his own book. So he gets to write them. Like I will say some people are really good at doing that. Like again, Chip Zdarsky, when he gets on a book at either Marvel or DC, he usually plots and plans. How can I work these other characters in to the story? Because I write them as well or draw them as well. Like his first DC thing was like a Harley Quinn story. And he immediately wrote Batman into it because he wanted to write Batman. And that turned out well for him because he got to end up writing Batman a whole lot more. Or with Daredevil, he works Spider-Man in in a way that makes sense. There's a number of times where creators are just like, I just really want to, I want to play with that character. I don't really have a good reason, but I'm going to stick them in here sort of thing. And that happens from time to time. It's actually been done a lot of times with The Thing, where it's like The Thing will suddenly be in a two-issue story arc of, say, like Moon Knight or... West Coast Avengers or something like that. And it's like, you just really wanted to write the thing. He's not doing anything. He's not adding anything. He's just saying thing-like things in your story, but he's not really adding to the value of the story, which I think that's the key to a good guest appearance by a character is you respect the character, you bring them in, and they add value to your story. Bring up once again Garth Ennis, someone who, again, doesn't like superhero characters. And so he was told, hey, you should work Wolverine into your Punisher arc because they have a history. And so he did, and all the book did was make, again, he just made fun of Wolverine. And unlike the Green Lantern popping up in Hitman where it's like it worked with the story, in this it would just seem like, oh, you just really wanted to shit on Wolverine for 22 pages. That's not good. That kind of turned me off. And it's not even because, like, ooh, I'm a big Wolverine fan. It's like, you're not telling me a story here. You're just setting up multiple sight gags where Wolverine gets crushed by something or gets run over by a bulldozer or gets parts of his body ripped off and stuff while Punisher kind of, like, has a smirk and walks away. It's like, I don't need this. This is not compelling storytelling to me. This is just, like, uh, stunts. This is gags. And there's no story to really back it up. And I think I Those are the ones that feel like when you're a kid and you just take your toys and have them fight each other, regardless of if it makes sense from a storytelling perspective, from the IP origin of those toys, that is totally what it feels like Just somebody taking just two hunks of plastic and fight. Yeah. 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 And then of course, really big in the nineties was the company guest appearances. Characters would jump into somebody else's book in another uh, totally different company, like, and this was into the 2000s as well. Like Robert Kirkman, of course, he created Invincible. And then he ended up getting a job at Marvel writing Marvel Team Up. And he decided, hey, wouldn't it be cool if Invincible popped up in Marvel Team Up? And so he did that story. It's like, oh, okay, that's fun. You're playing with characters that are yours. It's that That's good. Like little things like that. Um, as you know, we talked about uh, Mike Allred's Madman on this show. And both Frank Miller's big guy and Mike Mignola's Hellboy each kind of popped in for an issue and kind of did like a guest appearance in their universe sort of thing. It's a very common thing that happened back then. And probably the most nefarious one, the one that it's like, ooh, that's some crazy shit happening there. So Steve Gerber, of course, created Howard the Duck. When Steve Gerber left Marvel, 
he did not get to keep the rights to Howard the Duck. And so he and Jack Kirby decided to do a book called Destroyer Duck. It was very similar to Howard the Duck. And then it was decided, hey, we'll have an unofficial crossover. So the writers of Howard the Duck made a deal with Steve Gerber and Jack Kirby. Hey, we're going to, we're going to tell a story that these two stories connect. We won't promote it as a big company crossover because at that time it hadn't become a thing yet. Right. And so the setup was in the first issue in Howard the Duck where these characters crossed over. And then when it went to Destroyer Duck, Steve wrote a whole bit about him having the characters of Howard and his girlfriend replaced by clones, by fakes, so that they could get them out of that universe where they'd be safe. And so when you go back to the next Howard the Duck issue, of course, they're just writing as if, okay, whatever, this is Howard and everything. But people who read both books would feel like, oh, so that's not Howard anymore. And that was kind of like Steve's kind of revenge on Marvel without them knowing at the time until the books came out. And to me, it's like, oh, okay. It's like, it's, it's, even though it's like not super controversial, it's one that it's been talked about for years. What I don't like about that is you briefly got me very excited about Howard the Duck again. Fool me once. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like freaking Spawn teamed up with Batman, Spawn teamed up with the Punisher, Spawn teamed up with Spider-Man. And then... Of course, I'd say probably the biggest crossover era was in the mid-90s when DC and Marvel did their Marvel versus DC, DC versus Marvel miniseries, which is an epi- which I think we'll do a whole episode on it at some point. They decided, hey, the comic boom is slowly going bust. Let's try to boost sales for the retailers and do a big event together and we'll make money off of it. So they did this big story where the two universes kind of collided and had to face off because two ominous beings who were twin brothers were fighting over which universe got to live and which one got to die. And so they set it up that the champions of each world would have to face each other. And they decided to make it even more complicated. We're going to make five of those fights be voted on by the general public. So you had Superman versus the Hulk storm versus wonder woman Captain America versus Batman, Lobo versus Wolverine, and Superboy versus Spider-Man, who was the clone Spider-Man at that time, Ben Riley. And so they did a bunch of votes on that. And you could, like, when you went into a comic shop, there would be a ballot that you could fill out and send in. And they did a bunch of other fights in there, like ones that were decided by the writers. And they released each issue. Uh, issue one was DC versus Marvel. Issue two was Marvel versus DC. And it was this big, crazy face-off between the two groups and at the end they had to figure out how to save the universes and it was fun but then they went too far in the story which is the only part of the story that i'm like oh this is very 90s something happens and this guy who can save the universes first saves them by mashing them together so instead of there being a wolverine and a batman there's a dark claw and a bunch of different characters. It was called the Amalgam Universe. And they put out a bunch of one shots. So again, cranking down a vet book money there, right? So they had all these one shots and they were, they were God awful. But then thankfully everything went back to normal. The miniseries ended. It was great. It's good, fun. 
not the greatest book, but still entertaining. And then they did another series with the guy who squashed everybody together. He was a character that was going to be used by both DC and Marvel. That never ended up happening except for one series called DC All Access, because his character was named Access. And it's about him by accidentally bringing heroes from one universe to the other and vice versa over and over again. What started out is like a kitschy kind of like guest appearances of both characters in one book. Then became a, like, is this ever going to end type situation, you know? <laughs> and I think that's the key. The key is if you're going to do a crossover guest appearance between characters from different companies, know when to stop. Know when to stop, make it make sense. Don't make it feel like I've snapped the arms off my little Batman toy and snapped on a couple of Wolverine arms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Exactly. And so I got to ask, when you were doing your research, what's the, in your opinion, one of the worst crossovers or guest appearances you saw with characters? I'm going to say not bad, but more why is both attempts to do Star Trek crossovers with X-Men? Because they did an original series kind of cast X-Men crossover, and they also did a next-gen cast crossover with X-Men. It's like both these shows are very similar, or like the show and the the sort of ethos of the X-Men is very similar in that at least if you're going from the good vibes part of it, let's meet new people and not murder them. Or let's meet different people and try to figure out what their deal is and not murder them. And I would say that probably the Venn circle overlap of people who like Star Trek and like X-Men, there's probably more than like just the tip kind of overlapping there. That said, I don't need that chocolate and that peanut butter. Keep it separate. Let me enjoy my track and my, you know, related spinoff properties, whether it's comic books, cartoons, etc., whatever. Let me enjoy my X-Men. I let them cross over with other people that are like living in comics. Like, I don't need that to happen. I, I was not interested at all as somebody who purchases consumes a lot from both of those franchises it's like how did you take two things i love and make me not want them yeah yeah that's that's the thing right there it's like you have to look at the combination of characters and go can i make this make feasible sense and also leave the characters better than how i found them and it sounds very much like they couldn't figure out how to do that they they just kind of were kind of like running over the same story beats that each of the groups have in common without actually connecting them. That's yeah, that sucks. That said, I would say now if someone were to try it and do kind of a multiverse thing and give us some acknowledgement of the Picard professor X of it all, make the man I love the most be the man I love possibly the least. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, you know what? Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Although there could be a cool, like, nice chair moment between the two of them. For me, when it comes to, like, one of the worst that I can think of, this goes back to when I was a teenager in the 90s and everybody was doing these company crossover books, even the smaller companies. And smaller companies were getting in bed with bigger companies. And one of those companies was Malibu Comics. Bunch of superheroes I didn't give a crap about. Called They had their universe called the Ultraverse. Ultraverse Comics was their kind of thing. And at some point, Marvel bought the publication rights 
to do a big Marvel Malibu crossover. And it was kind of like a big, why? These characters aren't even that huge. They're not even that exciting. And what they did was is that they had Juggernaut, Sienna Blaze, and Reaper from the Marvel Universe jump into the Ultraverse and team up with some other people, and they were called Exiles. And this was before the later X-Men Exiles books. There was really no point to it. They they looked shoddy. They weren't that interesting. And as soon as they pulled Juggernaut back out of the story, I think it was like issue five or something like that. Yeah, issue five. He left the book after that. The book didn't sell well and got ended because people were only picking up with the possibility of, oh, Juggernaut. Juggernaut's one of the stars of this. Okay. But what really bothered me was the way they got Juggernaut into Malibu Comics' continuity. And they did it in the pages of Wolverine number 93. Juggernaut was losing his powers. Wolverine tracked him down. The two fought as they do. And so far the issue's like reading, all right, you know, it's Larry Hama, the way he wrote Wolverine, fun. But then as Juggernaut's escaping, he runs into two cloaked agents from the clandestine firm of Lockman and Lake, which had only been set up maybe 10 issues before in the Wolverine comic. And they just used a dimensional doohickey, you know, deus ex machina thing to send him into another dimension because the Ultraverse was now part of Marvel's multiverse. And then the next page was like, find out Juggernaut's adventures in exiles. And it was like, why? No, it's bad. And sure enough, it was bad. And it's like, it was always kind of annoying. There was like, we're in the middle of this kind of cool story for Juggernaut in the pages of Marvel Comics and they ship him off to Malibu. And nothing got resolved from it. it. Sucked. Yeah. The biggest disappointment, I think, in my research, I was hoping to find who is the your ideal Heather Locklear of comics. Like the yeah. your recurring guest star that makes it better, adds drama, makes you want to put it in your box every month. And there really isn't because, to your point, even when they do it right, then they keep doing it until it gets wrong again. But there's at least some good stories, like like some that we can read and go, okay, well, this was fun, or okay, they did this correctly, even if they didn't do it correctly in other places with the same character. And did you find any that specific, specifically stood out for you that you were like, you know what, I like this guest appearance? I mean, I didn't read it, but I want to now, looking at the team-up of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting that on my list of things to pick up. If I can find, I'd ideally love to find like a physical on sale somewhere at a show, but I'll probably just break down and buy it digitally. I was like, this is kind of got me all over it. Also, I now want pizza, but yeah, I would say that one. And then the uncanny X-Men Teen Titans crossover are the ones that. Oh yeah. That's so good because freaking they actually gave a pretty good idea of like dark side has found the power of the Phoenix force and wants to harness it and use it. So of course the X-Men are going to try to stop him, and the teen Titans are going to start stop him as well. That's a tight story. Yeah. So it's almost like the good ones are such an exception to the rule. It almost proves why other people just shouldn't try. Yeah, totally. Now for yeah. me, I have two that pop up and one is actually fairly recent. It's from 2017. And it's with a character that also has been overused probably in the past 15 years as a guest star popping up. Deadpool made a guest appearance 
in the 2017 Rocket series, so Rocket Raccoon, issue four. And so basically, the if you haven't read the Rocket series, it's a six-issue series. Rocket is in space. He's going on a heist. It's kind of very much like a, it feels almost like a Steve McQueen film, but in space kind of thing, where he's trying to put together a team to get this big prize. You know, it's a, it's a heist story. And at issue four, Rocket is basically down on his luck. His things didn't go well. The woman that he loved or the otter that he loved kind of led him astray. So he's kind of now drowning his sorrows on this planet that feels very much like, you know, a crime grubby, hard boiled film noir type place. And he just randomly runs into Deadpool and Deadpool decides that he's going to help rocket, but he's going to help him by telling the whole story as if it was a noir tale. So Deadpool for the entirety of the book is usually wearing a fedora and a uh, trench coat over his spacesuit because <laughs> he has to wear it because he's out in space. Right. And him and Rocket get into trouble with some mobsters. This one mobster who's made of bacteria molecules and Deadpool ends up blowing him away. But when he kills this mobster, the mobster kind of disperses all into like spores and ends up going into Deadpool's body. <laughs> and so Deadpool has to vomit out <laughs> this mobster. And the entire time Rocket's like, how do you think you're my friend and you were help? He was just like, it's, it is a fun book. And like, again, in that Rocket series, there's a lot of sadness for Rocket. So this issue was kind of like the right moment of levity written by Al Ewing uh, with artwork by our good friend, Adam Gorham. Uh, but also the one for me, and this is almost a guilty pleasure, but when I went back and read it, it holds up and it's a lot of fun. And that's either depending on where you bought it from, because it was released by both companies Punisher meets Archie or Archie meets the Punisher. It is an awesome story where basically the Punisher is tailing a criminal that he's trying to get who looks exactly like Archie. But this criminal has ended up in Riverdale and he's hiding out. Punisher comes to Riverdale, sees Archie and tries to kill him. <laughs> Chases him around the place. But then Punisher and Archie have to team up because this criminal kidnaps Veronica because Veronica just thinks she's on a date with Archie. <laughs> but no, he's using her as kind of like a human shield. And the two have to work together. The Archie editor at the time, Victor Gorlick, was like he really wanted to get into the whole company crossover thing that was happening in the 90s. This place took place in 94. And so he was throwing out ideas to people. And one that he threw out to a few different people was, as a joke kind of, what about the Punisher showing up in Archie? And... The more he thought about it, the more he liked the idea. So then he brought it up to uh, this writer, Batten Lash, and said, put me together a pitch. And at first he thinks he's joking. He's like, no, put me together a pitch. And so they put it together. They took it to Marvel. Marvel passed off on it and agreed on it. And what makes it like really good is that Archie looks like Archie in the book and the Punisher looks like the Punisher shit. And they pull it off because they had Stan Goldberg and John Buscema not just draw different halves of the book, they would work on the pages together that basically Stan Goldberg would draw on all the Archie characters and then John Buscema would come in and draw the Punisher and criminals that he was fighting and stuff like that. And then they had the inker Tom Palmer come in and do the finish on everything so that it all still looked copacetic, but the characters still looked defined. 
The only note that uh, Gorlick had before they went to the, the finished art was there was a part at a school dance in Riverdale where Punisher shoots a guy trying to get away. They said, oh, you can't do that. So they changed it to uh, him throwing a cake in the guy's face so that he got clocked. But it's the first ever Archie book to also contain drugs because the character that Punisher's chasing is a drug dealer. I was going to guess that's how that got approved in the first place, considering yeah. it was the 80s. So well, full it was circle the, it was there. 94. 94. <laughs> oh, 94. Great time for movies. Yeah. Maybe yeah. just no one was paying attention. <laughs> yeah. But really, <laughs> when you go back and read, it's actually, it's a lot of fun. It is a fun story. And those characters shouldn't work together. But somehow this team of people made it work. And it's kind of like one of those hidden gems of the 90s. And there's, only, there's so few when it comes to comic books. So, yeah. So that would be my pick for best guest appearance in a comic. That sounds great. But, hey, people out there listening, we'd love to hear from you. And you let us know what your favorite guest appearances by different characters are in whatever comics you read. You can email us at geekardshow at gmail.com. Put back issue bloodbath in the subject line. And hey, maybe we'll read it on a future episode. But for now, we must bid you adieu, Petula. Tell the good folks where you can find them. At inatif.com, on Twitter, High Spoutable, Instagram, TikTok, at obesacantavit, O-B-E-S-A-C-N-T-A-V-I-T, and here with you. Of course, you can find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at geekard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Is Your Bloodbath, where we post the new episode every week. But the easiest way to make sure you don't miss an episode is to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice. That way, it'll come right to you. And that's what it, that's what matters, friends. We want things to come right to you, and we want to hear from you. And we want us to continue to go down this journey together in the great land of comicdom. This has been Back Is Your Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petula Neal. Have yourself a good... <laughs>